Just looking around the church today, I see that many of you, like me, wear glasses. And some of you probably should wear glasses. Um, I also remember the experience of being convinced that I could see just fine without glasses. I made it through kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. And if you would have asked me, I would have told you, I see just fine. Until I would get closer and closer to the board, and I would start doing this, and Sister Rosemary would say, Johnny Gazzaldo, you need glasses. No, I don't, sister. That didn't always go well. <laughs> but, you know, there was a, especially in those days, people who wore glasses, considered kind of nerdy, called them four eyes. But sure enough, somebody took me to the eye doctor, they gave me a little test, thought I did fine. And then either the doctor or the tech, one of those two, you know, they, they kind of grab the glasses, they have a little handkerchief to clean off the lenses, and then someone places it on your face. And I remember that. There was a couple of emotions I went through. First of them was just sheer joy. Wow, I didn't know the world looked like this. I didn't know that green and blue, I didn't know that the world was so crisp and clean and clear and beautiful. I had gotten used to the blurriness. So that was the kind of my first emotion. Wow, wow, I didn't know the world looked like this. But then there was the humility that kind of struck after that. I think it was my mom or my dad said something like, see, we told you you were blind. So that you have to admit, all that time before, I was wrong. I couldn't see clearly. There was something wrong. I needed a corrective. But then, there was a feeling of hope. Wow, there's so much more to see. I couldn't wait to get out of that doctor's office, to go outside and look at the trees, to go home and look at our backyard, to go to a soccer game, a baseball game, and take it all in, things that I thought I knew what they looked like but see them in their new crisp and clear and unfoggy, unblurry way. This is one of the few weekends that really all the, the readings have to do with being able to see, with sight, having sight or not having sight. First Samuel, we have where we meet David and God tells Samuel to go to Jesse's house because I have picked one of his sons to be the king, to be the anointed one. And Jesse brings out all his seven sons, and Samuel looks at them and says, look at these fine young men. Surely one of them is the anointed king. They look good to me. And God kind of scolds him. Hey, you see, you have the eyes of man. You do not see as God sees. None of these young men are who I'm picking. And that's when Samuel asks, you got another son? Yep, he's out in the field, and we get introduced to little King David. Little ruddy, small, scrawny little kid, and God says, he's the one. Anoint him. And I imagine everybody there go, I'm not seeing this. I'm not seeing this. And God responds again, well, you don't see as I see. And as Christians, we say this to the world. We see the world with Christian eyes. But we also have to be the corrective. 
Because in Ephesians, which I love, and I didn't notice until a couple days ago, because we always say we want to be people who live in the light, who don't live in darkness. But that's not actually what it says. It says, you were once darkness, but now you are light. That's much different. I quick looked it up in the Greek, and that's what it says. You were once darkness, and now you are light. And you're supposed to expose the falsehood, the sin, the heresy, the wound, the demons that are in the dark. Expose them with your very self. As Christians, we're supposed to be shining light, sticking out like a sore thumb. Now, you don't have to walk around in pink like I do, but your, your Christianity, your Catholicism should, should make you stick out. To expose the darkness, and remember that we are light, shining on him. Now you are light. So in other words, we have to be those corrective lenses on the world. A world that's gone a little blurry on us, gone a little foggy on us. Now, this gospel today is long and thick and intricate. It's one of the few stories we get a blow-by-blow, minute-by-minute account of what happens because it is thick with theology. Jesus anoints and baptizes this man with his very saliva. You know, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it says that God made Adam by spitting on the ground and creating him out of clay. So it's not something that Jesus pulled out, that his very bodily fluids are there to save. But the story itself is full of irony and paradox. Irony and paradox all over the place. This man cannot physically see. He's blind. But spiritually, he can. He can recognize, this man saved me. He opened my eyes. He's at least a prophet. And I love the way he kind of gives it back to the Pharisees, even engages them in a debate. I don't know if he's a sinner, but I know that he cured me. And then we know that God has not listened to sinners. He's actually having a theological debate with them. And they do think he is just a sinner. He physically cannot see, but the Pharisees can see. And they are spiritually blind. They're spiritually blind, which Jesus calls them out. You say you see and you can't, and therefore your sin remains. Wow. He's calling them blind. Are you blind? This man serves as a light. He is now the corrective lenses. He points back to Jesus. Now, if anybody was here, cured of any sickness, disease, or blindness, hopefully we would rejoice. Hopefully we would rejoice. But that doesn't always the way it works out. I know many people who've gone off to retreat, an axe retreat, chirp, you know, a curcio, maybe they've gone to a conference where they came out of that just on fire for the Lord, just on fire, only to go back to their home, the spouse, their kids, the relatives, and all of a sudden it causes a crisis. It causes a crisis. Mom, dad, you know, older brother, old sister has changed, and we kind of like the way things were. We kind of like the way we saw the world. It causes friction. Well, this man is saved. He can see. He is healed. And as soon as he starts to announce it, he starts to cause division. He starts to cause a little rumble there. And it gets him thrown out. 
gets him thrown out. When we have someone place the glasses on us, when our eyes are open to the reality of how beautiful the world is, but that the world has facts in it, that God created it for certain things, you might be, get thrown out of some places. Because I think we would have to admit in some, in very profound ways, that our world has gone a little blind, has gone a little blurry. What a human being is, what a marriage is, what sex is, what gender is. 50 years ago, these things were crystal clear. Everybody knew what these things were. But now, not so much. Oh, I know we pound away even at this podium about what marriage and sex and gender, but even what a human is. You know, I'm not a computer person. I am not. But it seems like they're making computers that are smarter than you and me. They're making computers that can, you can have conversations with that look human. And there's a debate whether they need rights or not. For those of you who are my age, you know what Skynet is from the Terminator. How all of a sudden the computers became self-aware. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope when I walk out and then you walk by me, someone will say, Father John, that's not going to happen. We just unplug the computers. I don't know about that anymore. I don't know about that. They're taking on a mind of their own. And in many ways, we are becoming dehumanized. But we have a very profound opportunity to remind the world that we are made in the image and likeness of God. And that means a lot. Because when it comes to things like marriage and sex and gender and what a human being is, even if they're really small, you have to be the one who is the corrective lens. You have to bring that into clarity for the world because they're a little blurry right now. And some people like the blur. Some people like that gray area that things are not black and white. You'll hear this all the time. Oh, things are not black and white. It's just a spectrum. It's just a spectrum. And that means they don't have to change their lives. But when you start to convince them that reality exists, that people are real, and that God exists, sometimes that will cause them anxiety, like the Pharisees today. But it's all good. It's all good because reality is good. I think the good news is today is admitting that we are blind, and that is hard to do. Like I said, when someone goes through a conversion experience, they're renewed. There's a, a great joy and an energy about them. But sometimes they have to admit, wow, I can't believe I believed that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I saw things that way. I can't believe I was so blind. That's hard to admit, but it's good because it builds humility in all of us. And when we can see the world and that his world is beautiful and created by God, it is ordered and crisp, that that is good news. And then we can tell ourselves and the world, give them hope because there's so much, there's so much more to see. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Fidem Catholica, the Sunday homilies of Father John Gazzaldo, pastor at St. Luke Catholic Church, Temple, Texas. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you can be made aware when future episodes drop.